So our scripture reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 17. So we're continuing our studies in the book of Genesis. And we come to an important uh, section, uh, verses 1 to 14. So Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 14. And before we read, again, let's commit our time to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would open it up to us and help us to understand it. And Lord, to be encouraged by it, and to see the greatness of our God and the greatness of your provision for us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout the generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born uh, in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So one of the things that we, the key things that we need to be able to see when we come to reading the Bible is the role of God's covenant in Scripture. And God's covenant is the framework that gives structure to the whole Uh, of biblical revelation from beginning to end, from Genesis through to Revelation. The thing that makes it hang together is God's covenant. It's uh, it's like the skeleton in your body. It sits under the surface and gives the rest of you shape uh, and form. 
And you may not think about it that often, your skeleton, but without it, you'd be uh, something of a heap on the floor. So uh, don't think about that too much. (laughs) So too with the covenant of God. Uh, And many Christians can go through their lives not really thinking about God's covenants. But without covenants, uh, lots of things in the Bible just don't make sense. And it's, it's the reason why many parts of the Bible remain something of a mystery to people, even though they have saving faith in Christ. You know, they're saved, they, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they know that Jesus died for them and rose again, and yet they may not understand the, the, the covenantal structure of God's revelation, of, of Scripture revealing who God is, that God makes covenants with His people. It's the covenant that makes the Bible hold together. And the covenant governs how God relates to his people and how his people relate to God. The covenant gives shape and purpose to the development of God's eternal plan of salvation, which culminates in Jesus Christ and his coming to die In fulfillment of all the covenant promises. And to rise again from the dead. And of course now we wait for the consummation of that covenant. And of all that he has promised. When Jesus Christ comes again. You see it all hangs together. As a fulfillment of God's covenant promises. And so Genesis 17 is one of those key passages that shows us God's covenant with his people. So the situation here in Genesis 17 is that uh, Abraham is 99 years old now. Uh, Verse 1. And Abraham has already fathered a son, uh, Hagar, uh, by, uh, sorry, Ishmael by Hagar. And uh, at this point, Ishmael is now 13 years old. But Abraham has still not had a son by Sarah, his wife. You remember we looked at uh, Hagar and Sarah uh, last time. And uh, there's a situation of Abraham uh, believing God and yet, in a sense, not fully trusting God and thinking he could take things into his own hands and have a child by Hagar. I think, well, wouldn't that do as a fulfillment of God's promises? And God says, no, you will have a son by Sarai. And that's still hanging here, this unfulfilled promise that uh, God has made. But this passage, I think, gives us, uh, comes as a great encouragement to Abram. And I believe it should do the same for us today. It should encourage us and to remind us of God's promises, that whenever we see a covenant sign being applied, that's, and the, the sign is being applied in this case to believers and to their children, then it should encourage us to, when we see the covenant sign being applied. What are the covenant signs that we receive today? Well, of course, it's baptism of believers and their children. And we're taking the Lord's Supper later today. We take the sign of the covenant. And we should be encouraged that God 
keeps his promises. This is, of course, a different administration of the covenant. This is the language we use. is one eternal covenant from beginning to end, but it comes in different administrations. We are in the new covenant age. Uh, what we're seeing here in Abraham is the Abrahamic uh, dispensation of the covenant. But we'll uh, say more about that, no doubt, later. But we should be encouraged every time we, t- we receive the sign or we see the sign being applied. Here's the first thing to see here in this passage. Uh, the Lord is God Almighty. The Lord is God Almighty. God approaches Abram uh, in verse 1 and says, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I am the great, powerful God. This is the emphasis here. God is powerful. He is almighty. He is totally sovereign. There is nothing that he cannot do except logical inconsistencies like making square circles and stuff like that. There are, but there's nothing that he cannot do when he has decided to do it. And just think about that in Abraham's situation. Think about Abraham in his situation. His name, so God's name is El Shaddai here. Abraham's name means uh, exalted father. And, uh, you know, that's, that may sound unusual to us. It, Abram's just a label. Of, names are often like that. Aren't they? They're just labels we give to people. They often don't have great meaning. They think it, we think it's a nice name or something, or it sounds nice. Or, or maybe it's got some background to it. But in, in Abram's time, names really meant something. And his name was Exalted Father. And you can just imagine, every time somebody says Abram's name... He is reminded that he's an exalted father. And yet, he is also very conscious that he has no son, as promised by God. Exalt, uh, Abram, exalted father. And the little voice comes into his head and says, yes, but I have no son. Be like a kind of pounding moment of doubt. When is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? And he's reminded that it's, just, it's not true. And maybe he'd be discouraged constantly as he remembered his name. How easy it is to become discouraged. How easy it is to lose faith in God. To lose grip on the promises of God. And to forget and let our circumstances determine what we believe about God. Rather than just trust God and his word. Your soul, you see, can be, become dulled to the promises that you've received. And you can settle into a, a life of languid lukewarmness. Because you don't really believe the promises of God. And under, under the surface, the fire of zeal that maybe you had at the beginning of your Christian life. That fire of zeal has gone. And you're just drifting along. And you're in no man's land spiritually. Maybe Abraham was in that situation. And into this setting, God comes. 
and he says, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I can do anything. I can do everything I have promised. And God then repeats his promises to Abraham. Isn't it amazing just the number, sheer number of times that God comes to Abraham from Genesis 12, now through to Genesis 17, and there's more to come. He keeps saying his promises to Abraham. And what God is doing here, as it were, he is, he is reviving the soul of Abraham, Abraham by reminding him of his promise, God's promises. And how Abraham needs a revival of his soul. And the only way that that happens is he gets a fresh vision of who God is. And his word comes to him. And his heart is lifted up by God. This is God Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. And this is an experience that Abram has now which is intended to affect Abram's whole life. Because then God says to him, Walk before me, verse 1, end of verse 1. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Everything is God, God, Everything about your life now has to be about me. Live for me. Live a blameless life. Walk before me. Walk in communion with me. Love me. Serve me. Enter into my blessedness. Come with me. Don't listen to those inner voices that cause doubt in your mind. Just listen to me, says God. Listen to my words. Study it. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Live by it. Trust me. In the midst of all your doubts and worries and fears. This is what we should remember. As we participate in the signs of the covenant. Again, Abram's going to participate in the signs of the covenant in a minute. This is what we should remember. As we participate in the signs of the covenant, taking the bread and the wine, or or one, you know, every so often we do do a baptism in this church. We should remember again just who God is, how great He is, how powerful and mighty He is, how He keeps us all His promises. And all that he has promised to us in his, word, in his word comes to pass through Jesus Christ. Everything is yes and amen in Jesus. You may trust him in all your struggles and all your disappointments that you may face in this life. You can still trust God, El Shaddai. Here's the second thing to notice about this passage. Abraham receives a new name. He receives a new name. Uh, Abram is to change his name from Abram to Abraham. There's an extra ha in there. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure he didn't think about it like that. But, you know, there's an extra syllable in there. And to us, it maybe doesn't seem that, much, that important. But the, the meaning of the name is significant. 
So he moves from being exalted father to being father of a multitude. That's what the, the word, the name means. Father of a multitude. And God tells him twice, you'll be father of multitudes. And God repeats his promises again, building on all that he has said in previous chapters, that God will multiply him exceedingly, verse 2. Verse 5, he will be father, a father of nations. In verse 6, he will be the father of kings. And actually, you know, a number of nations owe their origin to Abram. Abraham. You may remember the Ishmaelites. So Ishmael was born to Hagar, uh, his servant. Uh, well, scholars think that's the, the Arabs of today. Uh, another, Abraham takes another wife later after Sarah's death. Uh, and uh, he has sons by Keturah. And the Midianites and many others become uh, offspring of Abraham. But then, of course, the most important is that through Abram comes Isaac and then Esau and Jacob. And so the Israelites come from Abraham and the Edomites come from Abraham. So there are many nations that come, that will come from Abraham. He will be the father of multitudes. You can read the Bible and you can see how that promise is fulfilled. And that promise is made not simply to Abram, but also to his offspring. Verse 7, I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And as we, we read through the book of Genesis, I mean, things don't just stop when Abraham dies, but rather the promises are renewed to Isaac, to Jacob, uh, and to Joseph, and so on, all the way through to Moses. And all of this is building on the promises that God has made earlier on uh, in the book of Genesis. And the great promise more than anything else, the most important promise, part of the promise is, I will be your God. You're my people, and I am your God. And I am your children's God. It is an amazing statement. Because what God is saying here is, He is passing the right to have one and true and living God as their God, to his offspring. You, Abraham, you have me as your God, but I want to pass that on to your children. And I'm doing so. I'm giving them the right to have me as their God too. Of course, they must take that by faith. They must believe it. But let's not diminish the, the graciousness of God to, to believers and their children. God loves the children of believers and he offers himself to them. He loves them. And they must receive it, those promises too by faith. 
Now, there's something we need to be aware of here. Um, because there's a danger in thinking that God is only interested in Jews and Arabs and so on. Uh, or whatever. But let me read to you something that's uh, written by someone who is an expert in the Old Testament, probably the best ever expert in the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says, in Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. And then he says this interesting thing. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural. Now often we use a singular word to, use a, to mean a plural. And, but in the Greek and the Hebrew it's not, it's not the case. So we have to be, have this explained to us. He does not, it does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul understands something very important about the promises of God, that they are a means to an end and find fulfillment in the one seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And now we understand that it's through faith in Jesus Christ that people are saved. We understand that today. In the Old Testament, in in Abraham's time, we discovered this in chapter 15, that Abraham had faith in the promises of God leading to that seed. And so in a sense, Abraham had faith in Christ. He maybe wouldn't have put it like that. It's anachronistic. But if you believe the promises that lead to Christ, then you have the same faith. That's the point. You have that saving faith. And that faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. And so it's through this faith that people come into the orbit of God's promises and receive God's promises. And that's what the, and the fulfillment of all these promises comes to, comes to fruition nowadays in the Great Commission, doesn't it? Um, Matthew 28, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Go and take my words. Go and preach the gospel to all the nations. Teach them my words. But see them baptized. Baptize them. Bring them into the kingdom of God. Bring them into the orbit of my promises. Bring them to believe me. To believe all that I promised. And what happens when they're baptized? They take a name. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And... The the moment of your baptism is that moment when, as it were, God in symbolic form says, I put my name on you. It's a fulfillment of the Aaronic promise in Numbers Numbers chapter 6. I will put my name on you. And how does he do it in the new, New Covenant? Through baptism. And he does it to believers and to their children. I want my name on you. I want you. Children, who've been baptized, God is saying to you, I want you. You're listening? 
God is saying to you, I want you. <laughs> you have my name on you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's a wonderful truth, isn't it? It's a great truth. God has laid claim to me. I know some people, when they grow up and when they get into their teenage years, and they say, I, you know, I, don't, I don't believe that. I maybe don't believe this. And sometimes you, teenagers, I'm not saying anybody here, I'm not pointing any fingers. Uh, but, you know, some teenagers have a little bit of rebellion and they say, I, you know, I don't want religion of my mom and dad. I don't want to come to church. And so on. But you cannot deny, if you've been baptized, God has laid claim to you. And he's calling you to come and believe in him. And trust him. And trust his promises. So, believe him. God is gracious in his covenant. So Abraham is a father of multitudes. And uh, that is to be fulfilled in the great commission of the gospel of the New Testament. But let me thirdly come to uh, this covenant act. And Abraham is called to keep covenant with God. Uh, in verse 9 he says, God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall be, keep my covenant, you and your offspring, uh, after you throughout all generations. So this is not the first time that God has made promises to Abraham. Um, Remember the elaborate symbolism of chapter 15, the, uh, the animals being split in two and God uh, in the form of a torch and a fire pot uh, passing between the animals and taking upon himself obligations of covenant. He is committed to covenant with his people. And uh, you remember that, that that tells us that God initiates the covenant. God uh, sets up the covenant. God is committed to the covenant. It's a unilateral covenant that he has made. He has decided, and that's what he's going to do. And God himself bears the weight of that, the commitment uh, to keep the covenant promises. And he's pledged himself on pain of death to keep covenant with Abram. But that does not mean that Abram's life is unchanged by this covenant. Abram must now live a different life, a life of loyalty and commitment to God, of faith and trust. It's not that God is making the, the covenant, uh, God's keeping his side of the covenant uh, is conditional on Abraham receiving the covenant blessings. No, not at all. But there are obligations on Abram. Once in covenant, uh, with God keeping his promises, Abraham's part is now to be the one active in responding to God's commitment. So the relationship, although the covenant is one-sided, the relationship is two-sided. It is a relationship. And the same is true today. We, uh, we come into covenant with God... As we now look at the fulfillment of the promises that are made in Christ. And we come to know that all the promises are made uh, to, uh, that are made to Christ are 
made over to us as we are bound to him by faith. So we are united to Jesus Christ by faith. And so all the promises are yes in Christ become yes to us. And that never leaves us the same, does it? When we are in a relationship to Christ, bound to him in covenant, united to him by faith, we are never left unchanged. Something inside of us has changed. If we're truly united to Christ, if we're truly Christians, something inside has changed supernaturally. We're never the same. And we see that God, and we, we begin to see that God's commands still stand and actually we want to do them we want to do what God says that's how you know somebody's truly a Christian they want to do what God says you see you can't can't be a Christian and to claim to be a beneficiary of the promises of God made in Christ and be lazy about obedience or just neglect obedience it's dangerous to be slack about using what God gives you to help you to know him be slack about the word and and prayer together and the other means of grace that God gives us It's, it's dangerous to be slack about these things it says something about the heart And if you've become a member of this church, you've made promises of commitment to God, first and foremost, and commitment to these people. And you've made those promises before God and before the rest of the congregation. And so the question for all of us who are members here today is, are you keeping covenant with God? Are you keeping covenant with God? Are you, are you being careful about the declarations that you have made in front of everybody and God? Are you living a life that is becoming of the gospel of God? Are you supporting the, the church and its work and worship and mission? Are you submitting to God-given authority in the church and putting yourself under pastoral care? Are you committed to the promises that you're keeping covenant with God. Keep covenant. Commit yourself to God. Seek to be faithful to him who is faithful to you. Finally, let me just do look at the sign and the seal of the covenant here. And here at this stage in the vast span of redemptive history... Uh, At this particular stage, the sign of the covenant is the circumcision of the males. uh, The male male, uh, offspring. And interestingly, there there have been all sorts of signs and indications so far uh, of God's faithfulness to his promises. You may remember back to chapter 12 and 13. Remember Abraham was, was allowed to walk through the land... And so just the act of walking through the land was a a sign to Abraham that he was going to receive this land that God had promised. Uh, Or chapter 13 again, uh, looking at the grains of uh, of dust on the earth and and God saying, your offspring shall be as numerous as the sand on on the ground. 
can't count it. Or chapter 14, Melchizedek appears. And it's a sign of God's blessing. And what he is intending to do. And if you want to know about that, you can go back and listen to the sermon on chapter 14. Or chapter 15, look at the stars in the sky. Just try and count them. The wonderful thing about being, just last week, Susan and I were up in Yorkshire for a bit. And then we were up in Northumberland and out in the middle of nowhere. And you could see, and the skies were clear. You could see all the stars, and you can't count them. I mean, in Solihull, when it's, you know, because of the light and everything, you can count a few. But out in the open, you can't count them. And this is the promise that was given to Abram. Your, your offspring shall be as countless as that. Um, and so God has gone to, already gone to great lengths uh, to show just how he means to keep all his promises. By providing those signs. And now it, God gives Abram a new sign. One that's to be performed by Abram and successive generations. Circumcision. Uh, applied to the males of the household. And whether it's your own child or the child of a servant. Uh, whether it's one of the family or a foreigner who is working in your household. If they're part of the household, they're to be circumcised. And... Uh, and circumcision is not, prim- not about a child becoming of a certain age and reaching a certain level of maturity of understanding or anything of that sort. After all, the child was only brought at the age of eight days. But this circumcision instituted by God is to be ap- applied to this range of people because it is not about the individual's response to God. Do you understand that? It isn't about the individual's response to God. Rather the sign is about is everything to do with what God is doing for his people. And what God was promising. So circumcision is about a sign about God. It's not about the person receiving the sign. So male children were to receive the sign generation after generation. And it was to be an everlasting covenant. Incidentally, my, my, my comment earlier about one covenant with several administrations. This is how you understand Abraham having an everlasting covenant. That it's the same covenant in different periods. Moses, David, Jesus. But it takes different administrative forms. But it's an everlasting covenant. And so every generation, therefore, is reminded of its abiding validity. Now, did that mean that uh, all the people descended from Abraham received all the fullness of the blessings of the covenant? No, not at all. Uh, it was a blessing uh, to have the reminder, but they still had to respond in faith in order to be truly in covenant with God. It is faith that is credited to people as righteousness, not having the sign of the covenants. That's why Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 17. It's faith first. Faith is is a priority. The sign is a reminder. That's always true of covenant signs. 
whether it's tr- the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, or the rainbow after the flood of Noah's time, or the circumcision then, or baptism today, we may apply the sign before faith. We don't know, to be honest with you, as we apply the sign. But faith must come. Faith must come. And all of these signs are about the promises that God is working out at various stages in the history of redemption. The responsibility of recipients is to believe what they signify and to trust God and entrust themselves to God in faith. Otherwise, the signs themselves are of no personal value without faith. So for those of us who have received the sign of the new covenant age, the sign of baptism, I want to encourage you that God has laid claim to you. And that includes our children. God has laid claim to you. But we mustn't ever simply believe that because we have the sign, somehow salvation is inevitable. We must believe. So children, and maybe some adults, if you've been baptized, you still need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Those promises are yes and amen in Christ. And you're in Christ if you have that saving faith. And that's how today you keep covenant with God. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. And for your covenant. That gives us encouragement to believe you with all our heart. Thank you for the revelation in scripture. That reminds us how step by step you have always kept your promises. And so, Father, as we have received the signs of the covenant, and we are going to receive the bread and the wine later, enable us to believe with all our hearts that you keep your promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.